Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with Matt Offenbacher, overlooking again the beautiful I-10 on a beautiful Friday morning here. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, Justin? Doing fine. Been uh, actually traveled all week, so it's nice to be back home here in Houston. And uh, actually, Denver was beautiful. Uh, it was like 65 degrees and sunny. So walking downtown with just a light shirt on, uh, button up was the sun. It, I don't know what it is, but up there, when the sun's beaming down on you, even at 60, 65 degrees, it actually feels warm. Like that, just that heat. So I don't know if it's because we're closer to the sun being all the way up there. I'm sure that's what it is. <laughs> I'm sure that makes a huge difference. But uh, well, you seem to be a little bit more calm now that you're moved into your house, right? Yes. Well, mostly. mostly. So <laughs> I have a bed to sleep in and a f- I have internet. That's that's big too. So <laughs> yeah, life's good. Awesome. Well, I know you've been busy with your kiddo and moving in and stuff. And so hopefully life's starting to get a little bit uh, somewhat more of real now and a little bit more calm to to say the least oh it's real <laughs> yeah exactly well everyone out there for the listeners we wanted to touch a little bit uh, on a technical aspect of mud a lot of people have probably heard the term either viscosity rheology or anything to characterize or to talk about the, the how thick the mud is so today we want to talk about viscosity so matt for everyone out there, what is viscosity? So viscosity in and of itself, probably the, the simplest way to describe it is it's a fluid's resistance to flow. If you want to get a little bit more technical, it's a ratio of the shear stress or the force applied to something relative to the shear rate or change in velocity. So if you have your shear stress divided by your shear rate, that value would be your viscosity. So when you when you talk about that, what would be the uh, the shear stress and the shear rate? Are those units or like when you get viscosity, what would be the unit behind that? So there's, I mean, there's a few different units. The the one we use most commonly is is centipoise. Um, a poise is a big value, so centipoise uh, kind of makes it a little bit more approachable. Um, I would say that we'll get into a little bit more about how you measure it. A lot of people just go straight for dial readings on equipment, and those are actually degrees of deflection as opposed to a a straight-up value. You have to do a mathematical conversion to get to your actual shear rate and actual shear stress numbers. Makes sense. And for uh, the people a little bit less technical, such as myself, I'm more familiar with what we would do on the rig when we get viscosity is seconds per quart. So what's what would be the difference between the two, really? As far as that goes, uh, when you talk about seconds per quart, the that's from the marsh funnel, um, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit when we get into how we measure. Um, but uh, in essence, it's how long does it take a certain fluid to flow through a sized aperture space in seconds to fill up a quart? And what you have is it's it's not a great reading of viscosity, and and I'll explain that as well. Um, but the idea is that a very thick fluid would take longer to flow through a sized space relative 
to a thin fluid. Right. And we kind of, we compare that to a lot of times to water, right? Because that sort of, it's on a rig, it was always, you know, you know what water is, which is usually around 28, if if your <laughs> equipment's correct. Uh, and then anything beyond that, obviously, you get the thicker and thicker it gets. So we, on a rig, you kind of always can, like, relate it back to what it's compared to water. Right. So, so water is one centipoise viscosity. Um, the, the one thing that I would say, you know, with respect to that or, or the challenge, and, and um, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, is with a funnel viscosity, for example, the one thing you can't control is temperature. Because so, it's ambient. Whatever, you're, whatever it is outside is, is what it is. Right? Exactly. And if you were drilling a really hot hole or it's just really hot outside that day, you get a different number on the exact same fluid. Mm, um, yep. And that's, and, and I, again, want to touch on that further down the road, but okay. keep those comments in mind. So let's talk a little bit about rheology because it kind of comes all back to rheology. What is rheology? So rheology is actually a field of study in physics, and it's, it's the, the, the study of the deformation of, uh, associated with flow. So it's typically involving liquids, although it could arguably be a solid. But basically, if, how does it deform when I apply some for, sort, of, sort of force? Um, and in essence, I can come up with mathematical models that will help me predict viscosity under certain conditions through um, kind of some of the principles that the field of rheology provides. Okay, so why is rheology important for us mud people? It's important for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, rheology in, in general gives us these, these fluid models, which then I can take fluids under a certain condition and kind of predict how they're going to behave uh, at higher temperatures or um, how they will affect my pump pressures while I'm circulating, um, how much friction will be induced by this fluid under a variety of conditions. Let's, and I don't want to interrupt you, but you mentioned models. Can you describe or explain what fluid models are? Basically, you have that ratio of shear rate to shear stress and how a fluid's going to behave. And bear in mind, there's a, a few kind of things that fluids will do uh, because you have all these interactions. You could have a polymer in there where the, the polymer chain is interacting along with the nature of the, the liquid phase itself. So, water, oil, um, those kinds of fluids follow what's the easiest model, which is a, Newton a Newtonian model. Uh, it's basically a one-to-one -one ratio of shear rate and shear stress. Um, and you can just imagine water splashing around. I apply some force to it. It sort of behaves proportionately. Um, but other fluids can be more complicated depending on the type of force. And I'm sure some people have seen in one of those you know, kids' science TV shows, uh, there's a fluid called oobleck. And oobleck is when you mix the cornstarch and the water and you, you, know, you, you squeeze it gently and it deforms, and then you punch it and it, it kind of pushes back, right? Right, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's a dilatant fluid. So there's a model for that where I apply fluid and, and actually harder force makes it thicker. Um, and going the other way, there are some fluids that we like that, that what we want is we want them to be fairly thick under low force and we want them to be thin when they're under pressure. So, for example, while I'm drilling, if I turn off my pumps, it would be nice for the fluid to have some viscosity. But when I turn the pumps back on, I, I'm applying energy and I want to make sure that I don't have so much that it overwhelms the system with pressure. Of course. So basically, the more it's moving, the thinner you want it. And then as it's sort of the, the flow slows down, essentially it thickens up. Is it sort of the ideal situation? Right. We call that thixotropy. 
um, or a, a fluid that's shear thinning. Um, that shear being under under that that force, um, the flu the viscosity actually reduces. Right. So, and and to sort of cut you off again, not to be rude, but I want to give an idea. So when when the mud is on surface, it's moving around the mud tanks. It's kind of being. It's it's not. There's not a lot of shear. There's not a lot of force. But as it goes through the circulating system, so you know through your mud pumps up the, the standpipe and down the drill pipe. Uh, the the most shear and the most force you're going to see is basically at the bit, right? Definitely. So would you say that the mud is sort of thicker on location and as it goes through the bit and, and sort of up the annulus, it becomes thinner? Or how does that work in sort of generically? Well, generally speaking, yeah. So it's it's going to appear much, quote unquote, thinner from a viscosity perspective as it's going through those tiny nozzles. Um, and there's a lot of pressure there as well. Um, and then as you circulate upwards, um, the fluid, as you have a less shear applied, um, will appear thicker, right. if you will. And that actually helps us, right? It's something where we certainly like different fluid characteristics for different things. I mean, everything's got an accept or a but or a qualification. Right. Um, but generally speaking, yes. Okay. Interesting. So why else is rheology so important for us in the mud world? Well, we can use it not only to model pump pressure, uh, but hole cleaning is another significant topic, right? We want to make sure, and, and beyond that, suspend solid material like bayrite, our critical weight material. Uh, we want to make sure that it's not going to fall out when I turn off the pumps or when I'm, uh, just when I'm drilling under regular conditions. Right. So there's, and that being said... It's not the the fluid isn't only important to help carry the cuttings out of the wellbore. Um, we've talked about the you know the benefits and the importance of drilling fluids, but again, having that suspension ability because you're adding a lot of product, and one of them one of the main ones being barite, which is our weighting material. You need a certain viscosity or rheology to in, to make sure that we can suspend those weighting materials. So uh, we designed the fluid to have a certain yield point and certain overall rheology to help suspend all those particles. Because if not, then you can run into some serious problems. Uh, one of which, hole cleaning. Uh, you can obviously, when you're, you're, you're drilling away, you've got all this rock and debris down hole, you need the proper rheology to help clean the hole. And I want to touch on sort of, the, there's a big difference between um, what people in the field refer to as viscosity versus you know, yield point and, and low end rheology. So Matt, can you help explain and describe the difference between the two and why one is actually what we want to focus in on versus the other when it comes to hole cleaning? Sure. And, and, you know, I, I think what, what's interesting, I've had a lot of conversations with people about this, well, I'm, my whole career, but recently it's been kind of interesting to look into the history of some of this because Many times we're sort of talking about the same things. It's just our, our terminology's gotten a bit more precise as the industry's grown and we've learned more. Um, but when you think about different uh, different properties, so when you speak of just viscosity broadly, what's the viscosity? Well, what's the viscosity at a higher shear rate or a low shear rate? Um, that can affect a number of different things, but at very low shear, this is areas where um, there's not a lot of energy present, right? which means there's not a lot of, of circulating energy to actually carry something through the fluid velocity itself, um, which we really like fluid velocity. You know, hole cleaning, viscosity is one component, 
There are some other really important ones, which is, includes being able to circulate and actually apply energy to the cuttings to carry them up to surface, right. which requires pumps and <laughs> flow rate. Um, and then, of course, pipe rotation to keep the, the pipe moving so that those cuttings don't get a long time to just settle on, on the low side of the hole. You're constantly moving the pipe around such that they keep getting kicked up into those areas of high energy. But in those little, small, isolated zones, of course, that aren't getting the attention for hopefully just a, a fraction of a second, um, we want to know about low shear rate viscosity. And also, for example, when our pumps are off, like when we need to make a connection and we've, we've drilled a little further, we need to add another piece of pipe to go even further. We turn off the pumps. Hopefully not everything falls to the bottom of the hole and creates some serious issues. On a rig, when, say, the company hand or someone calls out there and says, we need to increase the viscosity, uh, you know, we're, I don't think we're cleaning the hole. Why, why would we then want to focus more on, on yield point versus just surface viscosity? Well, I think, you know, th- actually, that's a more complicated conversation, in my, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, you know, one is we've, we've learned a lot about hole cleaning, especially now, you know, go back 10 years and most rigs were limited to about 5,000 PSI pump pressure for the most challenging wells. Now everybody's upgraded who's drilling, you know, 20,000 foot horizontals plus uh, to 7,500 PSI pumps. So the system pressure is no longer the limitation. Um, And so we say, well, we want to pump as hard as we can to keep as much fluid energy there. If I thicken the fluid too much, I'll actually have areas where I don't have turbulence um, or agitation to continue applying energy and carrying the cuttings up. So there's such thing as too much viscosity. Um, and we've actually written a couple of papers about this. There's a fairly, uh, fairly interesting case study in the Northeast where uh, a customer decided to lower their viscosity a little bit. They're um, focusing on pump pressure. Okay. And, and when you uh, say lower viscosity, you're talking about field reading. So lowering yes. the seconds per quart, not centipoise. From what well, we were reading at the rig site? So let, let's, uh, well, we were using our, our six-speed viscometer, ah, okay. um, which we should talk about the relationship between funnel viscosity and six-speed okay. viscometers. But um, what we were seeing, what we knew was that we could lower that rheology a little bit and we could pump a little bit harder. Gotcha. Right? Okay. And so we chose to pump harder and all of a sudden had really great hole cleaning. No issues. With a thinner fluid. With a thinner fluid. And so then we transitioned to, uh, so that was going really great for us. We started drilling further and um, everyone said, oh, we need to go back to what we were doing. Let's thicken it up. When they thickened up the fluid and started drilling these longer wells, what they found was they started having the same issues as be- when they, before when they had the same thick fluid. Um, what were so, the issues? Uh, so issues getting out of the hole, issues getting casing to bottom. And so they said, well, you know what? Why don't we go ahead and thin the fluid again, and we'll try this again. And what we found was that everything worked all over again. Um, and so it was just realizing those fundamentals really were delivering something. Um, and it just made a very interesting case study to go from these working practices to kind of say, oh, these wells are way different than what we've been doing with 
4,000 foot horizontals. We're going to drill 15,000 foot horizontals. Right. Let's go back to the basics and find out the basics weren't serving them very well. And then return to kind of a new way of thinking and no issues whatsoever from then on. Cool. Uh, I do want to discuss, there's different fluid characteristics, and, and I know we've touched on a couple of these, but do you mind describing, uh, you know, thixotropy, gels, plastic vis, and low shear, what is that, RV? <laughs> what is RV? Low, low shear rate viscosity. Low shear rate viscosity, okay. Trevor, back up. I'm going to ask that question again because I didn't understand one of these terms. I was, I was like, low shear, what? <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask that again, Trevor. So, Matt, I want to talk a little bit about fluid characteristics, and we've touched on a few of these, and you've, you've mentioned them, but do you mind describing uh, things like thixotropy, gels, plastic viscosity, and low shear viscosity? Sure. I, I think, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about thixotropy with the idea of, of fluid being shear thinning, um, and I, I think one of the best illustrations that I, I remember from mud school was like a thixotropic fluid, think of ketchup, right? When you start shaking it, it'll eventually flow. But when it's just sitting there, it doesn't really move around. So under shear, shaking, applying that force, the fluid thins out. It, it flows. But under those static conditions, um, not so much. And so it's considered a highly thixotropic mixture. In order to get it t- squeeze it through that tiny little hole, it needs to be thixotropic. So yes. if anyone out there wants to geek out over some French fries or whatever you're pouring ketchup on and wow all your friends, you can explain that to them. You're yes. welcome. The more you know. <laughs> you know, with respect to plastic viscosity, uh, one reason people are so focused on plastic viscosity is simply that it has a very strong relationship to the presence of solids and uh, friction. So if I have, if my plastic viscosity continues to raise, I can traditionally expect that my pump pressures will go up. So ideally, most of the time you see in a drilling fluids program, the programmed level for your plastic viscosity is ALAP, or as low as possible. Um, Because most people know, I don't know what the lowest I can get it to, but I want it that low. What is the plastic viscosity, what's the biggest function of it? Or I mean, I know it's not really a function, but what makes up the majority of what plastic viscosity is? It's solids, right? It's solids, and it's predominantly the interaction or the bumping together of these particles in a fluid. So uh, another thing, for example, an invert emulsion that has these water droplets inside of it, the more water droplets you have present, you're going to have a higher plastic viscosity. So sometimes in a critical drilling application, we may increase the oil content just so we can lower the plastic viscosity. Right, and that's something even uh, a lot of mud folks out there aren't aren't too familiar with. But yeah, if you have a higher water content in your mud, in an oil-based mud, your plastic viscosity is going to go up. So it's not necessarily you that you have more solids in there, uh, because most people relate plastic viscosity to the, the amount and size of, of, of uh, solids. And I've heard that multiple times. So that, that's an interesting uh sort of comment that I don't think a lot of people fully understand. So I'm glad you kind of cleared that up. What about gels or what people know as gel strength? So gels are are kind of an an interesting thing that uh, in essence, these fluids, a lot of them, because they have solids in them, because they have other things than just a a complete liquid, what you find is is that uh, the interactions are far more complex. 
And so, for example, these fine solids have all these charged sites on them. Um, they're attracted to one another. You let them sit under no energy, and the fluid kind of sets up. And then you go to turn on your pumps again, and you actually have this surge of pressure before everything kind of reaches equilibrium again. And so there's a few different ways to look at it with respect to people say, well, I want really high gels. I want the fluid to kind of set up when I turn off my pumps, but I also don't want it to progress. I don't want the, the fluid to get thicker and thicker and thicker the longer I sit. Um, and so you hear terms like fragile gels um, under temperature conditions in offshore, for example, you hear about flat gels uh, where a fluid that is exposed to the seabed, for example, uh, very cold temperatures over time doesn't get really, really thick. Um, so gel structure and progression is, is always kind of at the heart of the conversation uh, when you're talking about some of those risks in, in, in wells where pressure is very critical. Interesting. It sounds like we could have an episode on almost all these topics. <laughs> I know we can get pretty deep into the weeds with this stuff. We could. I mean, especially if, if there was a, a, a wave of insomnia going through the <laughs> podcast world, uh, we could probably get into pretty extensive depth. Um, okay, so how do we measure? I mean, we've... Yeah, sorry, Trevor, I'll ask a question here before we keep going. So let's talk about low shear. That's something a lot of people hear, and I don't think a lot of people truly understand. Uh, so what would be like low shear viscosity? So low shear rate viscosity is, is uh, I think I mentioned before, where we just don't have a lot of energy present. Um, there's not a lot of, of shear. And uh, so this is where a lot of people are interested in, okay, in those really tough nooks and crannies on the low side of the hole by the pipe where I'm not getting a lot of pump pressure, I'm not getting great flow. Or when I'm turning off my pumps, uh, for whatever reason, um, what is my viscosity under those very low energy conditions? Um, and basically, there's, there's a number of different ways to measure it uh, through different equipment and conversation, um, I, I guess. So a lot of people uh, on their six-speed viscometer They'll look at the six or the three RPM readings, which are the lowest readings you have on your viscometer. Um, there's a thing called the low shear yield point, which is kind of another way to guesstimate uh, what your value, your viscosity is at zero shear. Um, the, the definitive term, if you will, is the tau zero. Um, the problem with tau zero is it's really, really difficult to calculate. Uh, most of the fluids we work with kind of adhere to the Herschel Bulkley model, which the reason a lot of people don't like it is it requires lots of calculations to do things. Other more basic models you can do on pencil and paper with a calculator. Um, but the Herschel Bulkley model assumes that there's this number at zero shear. And if you can calculate that, that might be an appropriate measurement for suspension under no energy conditions. Interesting. Okay. So how do we actually measure a lot of this stuff? Well, you've, you've brought up the, the funnel viscosity, and the, I'll, I'll go ahead and say the, I want to go into the ups and downs of the funnel viscosity. We've, we've talked about how temperature dependent it is, but the other factor that it's missing is the funnel viscosity, you're basically pouring some fluid into a tall funnel and then timing how long it takes to fall out. Well, the funnel is a conical shape, and what you have is, 
you're, you're missing a variable here. Beyond temperature, the fluid itself has a hydrostatic pressure on it. But as it falls through that aperture, it's constantly dropping. And so the consistency of the funnel viscosity really makes it a poor measurement um, for anything other than the most basic attempts to look at consistency. But if I'm trying to model anything, I really can't use the marsh funnel. Um, if I'm trying to really go deeper, it doesn't help me. Um, but there are some advantages. One, just about anybody could run it with about two minutes of instruction, which means you could have the Derricand check it. Um, and if you're looking for consistency, you can take measurements of the fluid coming out of the well and going into the well over by the pumps and see if there's changes. And if you see an increase or a decrease, maybe you start a treatment. So it's kind of a quick way, if you have it checked every 15 minutes, it's a quick way to stay on top of things. So it sounds to me like you're really monitoring the trends behind it, not necessarily keying in on the exact number. Exactly. Um, and that's one thing we try and work with folks to educate them on because they, I get confused when they say, okay, well, what kind of funnel this do we need to run? Um, I'm like, well, I don't know. In the winter in the Northeast, it's going to be a lot different than the Permian Basin in the summer. Because um, that could fluctuate. You could have the same fluid. Uh, like you said, you go in the winter up in the Northeast when it's, say, close to freezing. You could have a funnel vis of, uh, let's just say, 100. And then you bring it down to somewhere where it's hot, like the Permian, you could have a funnel vis of 50. So, right. like, you could literally, it's, but you could have the exact same yield point, low-end rheology, and the rest of the rheological profile could be the exact same. But on the surface, it's, a, it's completely different. So that's one thing to, to really keep in mind. Right. And, and that leads directly into um, why the six-speed viscometer is, is quite a bit more helpful, in my opinion, um, is I'm actually taking the fluid, pouring it into a cup. I'm using a measurement at a constant t controlled temperature um, with a calibrated instrument um, that's, once again, fairly easy to use. but costs a bit more and um, you know normally it's just something the mud engineer has it's not sitting around on every rig makes sense uh, what about uh, measuring something to mimic what's going on downhole such as if you have high pressure high temperature there's there a way to measure viscosity or rheology at those uh, sort of at those um, conditions that's a word I'm trying to yeah. say yeah absolutely so you know, the six speed viscometer is is basically it, it's, it's got a bob and a sleeve, and it rotates and it measures the deflection, but it's at ambient pressure. We can control the temperature, um, and it sort of gives us this, this benchmark. Um, and then uh, there are more expensive pieces of equipment, and by more expensive, I mean you know $100,000 plus pieces of equipment that actually include that pressure component. And so you can kind of do a ramp where you could do those ambient conditions getting those six dial readings, we, we go 600 RPMs, 300 RPMs, 200 RPMs, 100 RPMs, six and three RPMs. Um, and we, do, we can do some calculations with those, but basically the 600 RPM being high shear, three RPM being lower shear, and then with this high pressure, high temperature conditions, a lot of the viscometers now can go up to 600 degrees Fahrenheit, 30,000 PSI, um, and it gives you an idea of what happens under compression for a fluid because the oils, for example, in an invert emulsion are compressible, water is slightly compressible, or at least the brine is. Um, 
so there's there's a there's a few interesting things that you can see happen uh, under those more extreme conditions. Interesting. All right, folks. Well, we're getting close to timing out here. Look, hopefully you've learned a little something on viscosity and rheology today. If you have any more questions, hit us up. We'd be happy to help you out. And look, Matt, is there anything else you want listeners to know about? No, I think, well, okay, yes. Okay. Uh, no, All right. I, I, I Continue, guess please. It's one of these, there are a lot of very simple things here, and there's a lot of very complex things or simple things we can make seem complex. Right. Um, and I think it's important to look at the language that you have um, and, and really your objective as you try and design a fluid um, with the right viscosity um, under the right conditions. Um, and so think about what you want. And then you can start the conversation about viscosity and make sure you're using the same terms. Because sometimes we talk around each other between tau zero, low shear yield point, yield point, um, and we can get kind of confused. And, and sometimes we, we all want the same thing. Most of the time we all want the same thing. Right. Um, but we just end up getting kind of lost in the weeds on some of these things because it, it gets complicated fast. Well, hopefully we cleared a little bit of that up for everyone out there. Again, we appreciate the support. Please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to. And again, we appreciate it. Everyone signing out. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.